0: Good morning. My name is Leonard and I'm the pastor here at Hope of Christ. Uh, Normally, right after the uh, doxology and the offering, we have a time of uh, just prayer for God's kingdom. We're focusing on the advancement of God's kingdom. And uh, that's often the time that we'll do, uh, that we will celebrate baptism, whether baptism of new believers or children of believers uh, who are members of of the church. But it's, uh, uh, and so today, as you can see, uh, uh, we, we do have a baptism today, uh, but I thought we would reverse things a little bit and that I would, uh, our sermon today would be on, uh, the gift and sacrament of baptism and, uh, uh, our understanding, uh, in, in the Presbyterian Church, the Reformed tradition of of what Scripture teaches about baptism um, and why, why we uh, at Hope of Christ uh, baptize uh, not only new believers but also children of believers who are members of the church. And so um, in order to uh, kind of not give you two sermons on the same Sunday that we're also going to break early for a congregational meeting, I thought I would just do a sermon on baptism, and then we'll have a real-life demonstration. So, so first we'll talk about it, and then you'll see, and you'll be like, "Oh, I see, I get it." It's sort of like the the two uh, the two men who were walking down the street, and one said, uh, "Do you believe in Do you believe in infant baptism?" And he said, "Believe in it. I've seen it." <laughs> so, you will have the opportunity to actually see. With your own eyes, what we believe uh, when I was growing up, uh, so our obviously then so our our passage will be from genesis, right because that 's where baptism shows up is in genesis you 'll see that soon enough we 'll be in Genesis seventeen um, when I was uh, growing up, my dad so my dad was a, a graduate of Penn State University, and so about every every year in the fall, he would he would obtain tickets to a Penn State football game, and he and I would go to the game. And I know that this isn't unique to Penn State. Apparently, Marshall does it too, but whatever. Uh, But at Penn State, the entire 80,000, 90,000-person stadium would eventually get into this chant. And you know, some of you know where I'm going. Like one side would scream out, we are, and then the other side would scream out, Penn State, and this would just go on for like 20 minutes, and then there'd be a lull of silence. And then about 10 minutes later, you'd hear one side yell, thank you. And the other side would be all, you're welcome, <laughs> which I thought was always the most clever part of that cheer. But, uh, and Marshall does it too. We are Marshall. Maybe your college or alumni did this as well. Um, Martin Luther... When he, uh, when he felt uh, just the weight of sin or the weight of temptation to sin, would say out loud to himself, I am baptized. I am a baptized child of God. Uh, I have seen places where... Uh, at baptisms, congregations will say, we are baptized. And it is intended to be a encouragement. Your baptism isn't just something that, that, that happened once and now you don't have to worry about it again. But your baptism actually having happened once is supposed to provide for you a lifetime of help. And encouragement, uh, how many of you, if you were baptized, remember your baptism? Just raise your hands like you remember when you were baptized. Put them up high and everyone look around, see who, who all remembers your baptisms. Now, how many of you, if you were baptized, do not remember your baptism? Raise your hands. So look around, see. So yours don't count. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird that we would have this view of baptism that like, oh, you don't remember it? Yeah, you should probably do that again. How many of you, if your parents changed your diapers, remember it? Yeah, very few. Very few remember having that happened. And yet we don't tell you you really it really it's lost on you how much your parents love you unless you experience it unless you can remember your changed diaper. We're like I'm I'm just going to go with my parents told me they changed my diapers. I'm alive today. I can just I can gather from kind of historical truths. I've seen other diapers changed and it reminds me of how much my parents must have loved me in order to do that. That's one of the things about baptism. Like it's when we come to baptisms, whether you remember your baptism or you don't remember your baptism, watching and observing and taking part in a baptism, one gift in it is is an encouragement, a reminder. Like, you know what? I'm baptized. Those things are true about me. And maybe it, is a moment of encouragement for you maybe it 's a moment of conviction of remembering you know what i I belong to someone greater i i want to i want to live that way uh, you know what 's why it 's why weddings are so nice you know we go to weddings and uh, the vows it it's it 's this covenantal ceremony where you 're gathering together and in just your participation, watching and observing and as a witness to their covenant vows to one another, you are reminded, oh, I made some covenant vows myself. This is an encouragement to me. I want to, I want to be faithful as well. And uh, so w- in, in order to understand uh, the kind of the Reformed understanding of baptism... Uh, you you really have to go back to Genesis uh, because uh, in the Reformed uh, understanding of Scripture, we talk a lot about God's covenant and God's covenant promises that God says, I will have a people for myself and I will be their God and they will be my people and I will dwell with them. These are the that's sort of the, the threefold promise of God's covenant. I will be your God you will be my people, I will dwell with you. If you were here last Sunday in Revelation 21, that specifically is the promise that God makes. That that when Christ returns, God will dwell with us. It will be the final full finish of his covenant promise. The Holy Spirit dwelling in and among his people now is that that down payment of that. Here's the foretaste of God in his fullness dwelling with us. He will do that when he casts out sin and Satan and death once and for all. He won't just be a God in heaven that you pray to, but he will be a God in our midst. I will be with you. You will be my people. I will be your God. You, and, and so, so this is the covenant promise, and it, it comes in throughout all of Scripture. And we watch that promise unfold. And first, it's, it's made, in one sense, first, it's made in creation, isn't it? I mean, there's no, there are no people, and then suddenly there are people. And they were made by God, and so they were made for God. So Adam and Eve, even if God doesn't specifically say to them, Here's the covenant. He creates them in a covenant relationship with them. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will dwell with you. And yet sin has tarnished and broken that relationship. We are the covenant breakers. That's why it's so amazing that throughout the rest of Scripture, God keeps coming back and keeps coming back, and keeps coming back. And then even when he speaks to, to Abraham in Genesis 15, when he says to him, I'm going to make a covenant with your family, with you and your seed after you, your your offspring. And the covenant that he makes, when he makes the covenant, Abraham understands, oh, a covenant. I've seen covenants before. And so Abraham takes all these animals and he, Chops them in half and he puts them out like on an aisle like this, and it's a great passage, young men. If you want to read a passage about cutting animals in half, it's really cool. And he he chops them in half and he lines them up, and it's just there's just this bloody aisle that that Abraham thinks. Okay, here we are. I'm ready. I'm gonna I'm gonna commit myself to God now. I'm gonna walk down this aisle, and what I'm gonna say to God in doing this is, if I break this covenant then let me be as one of these animals. And so Abraham makes this aisle because he knows what's about to come. And yet what comes is God puts Abraham to sleep. And while Abraham's sleeping, this smoking pot comes down, and the pot itself kind of vegetales its way down the aisle. But it's a representation of God, and out of that pot, God says... This is my covenant with you, Abraham. While you're sleeping, I'm making promises. And for this covenant to be kept, I'm willing to die in order to keep this covenant. It's not on you to die, but on me to die. And I'll keep this covenant. And so the gift of of all of the the signs of the covenant point not to Abraham's faithfulness. Every sign of the covenant points to God's faithfulness, the meal of the covenant that comes in at Passover. It's not a celebration of, look how awesome we were. Look how great of people we were that God was like, wow, those Israelites, they are something. If I could have them on my side. No, we were slaves we were helpless we were hopeless and we have this meal to remind us god saved us he didn't just save us but at the at the cost of the death of the king of egypt's son we were saved and so we celebrate and we remember we have this annual meal that we celebrate and remember circumcision in genesis 17 circumcision is a sign that You belong to me. It's a sign for God's people that they belong to God. They are marked as gods. They are set apart to be gods. So let's stand real quick for the reading of God's word. Genesis 17. And this is where circumcision is instituted. When Abram was 99 years old, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So we kind of jumped forward a little bit into the outline with the introduction of just sort of the background of, of circumcision or the background of baptism. And I know, like, some of you might be saying, why do you keep using those interchangeably? Why do you keep trying to make circumcision and baptism, like, an equal, equal in their, their signs? So let me, so I want to talk first about what every Protestant believer agrees with agrees about baptism like everyone agrees to these things that that uh, first of all like other than like the outliers everyone agrees that baptism doesn 't save you you know we don 't believe in in baptismal regeneration is what it 's called we don 't believe that that the baptism itself is going to save you we don 't believe that That Gabriel will now be saved by this baptism, but that this baptism points to something beyond itself. This baptism is an image, a picture of a bigger thing, of a larger baptism. This is a baptism that points to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that, that the Holy Spirit poured out onto us is what saves us. That we're baptized into Christ. And so uh, everyone agrees uh, about that. Uh, We agree uh, that, well, there's, well, we'll go into some other things that we agree about. But so I want to talk a little bit about circumcision and see if this sounds familiar to you. So circumcision uh, was. A, a mark or a sign of a vertical relationship. Circumcision is a sign of a relationship with God. And we see that in Genesis 17, don't we? That, that he's circumcised because God is saying, this is my covenant with you. It's about a relationship that you have with God. Circumcision is a horizontal sign. Circumcision has to do with a relationship you have with others. When you're circumcised, you are brought into or marked as being one of the people of God. So those who are circumcised are considered to be a part of Israel. Those who are not circumcised are considered to not be a part of Israel. So it's a, it has a horizontal relationship involved in it. Circumcision, uh, as far as, a, as far as the symbolism of circumcision, there is a negative or a judgment aspect to the imagery of cir- circumcision. Circumcision has to do with being cut off. And um, I'm really not going to get into much more detail about this, but I will urge you, that when we talk about circumcision in such biblical theological language, sometimes your kids don't know what we're physically talking about, and I'm not going to do that. So kids, if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your parents. In fact, don't let the sun go down today without... Having this finished conversation. Anyway, so circumcision as a negative, as a judgment, uh, has to do with being cut off. And it and you see that in the end of that passage you read. Anyone who's not circumcised will be cut off. It's as if they are cut off. Also, though, circumcision, even of those who are circumcised in Scripture, it talks about uh, that you will be cut off from God if these things aren't true of your heart. Circumcised or not circumcised, uh, like we said about baptism, baptized or not baptized, you could be an unbeliever and these promises don't apply to you. So circumcision includes a negative symbolism. But also, positively, there's a symbolism of cleansing, of washing. Circumcision uh, is it's an act of cleaning. Like you're removing, the removing of the foreskin is a picture of the removing of sin. It's a, it's a symbol of being cleansed, of being washed, of being made uh, clean when you were not clean. Um, fifth, I hope this is obvious, uh, circumcision was never merely physical. That was never, the, the point of circumcision was never just this physical, Biological act, like the point of circumcision was your heart, and it and it comes up throughout all of the prophets, uh, most clearly in Jeremiah four. God says, "Circumcise your hearts." Uh, it's it's it was never meant to be merely a physical act. It was supposed to be an act that showed a reflection of your heart. Um, And then sixth, the norm of circumcision was familial. The normal pathway to circumcision was your children. Your sons were circumcised. Uh, if, If you bought servants or slaves and brought them into your household, they were circumcised because they were part of your household. They were part of your family. It was the normal method. Now, it wasn't the only You could also come to Israel... And become a part of Israel, having never been born, having not been bought, but having seen and learned and submitted yourself to God and said, this is the one true God, this is the one true way, and I want to follow, and I want to bring my family to follow. And so coming in from an outside nation, you would be circumcised along with your children, along with your sons, they would be circumcised. And so, so all of these things about circumcision, I hope I hope you see that they all have an an equal correlation in the New Testament in baptism. So first of all, in baptism it's it's primarily about a vertical relationship, right? When you are baptized, you are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are baptized because of the relationship that God has made with you. But it also has a horizontal relationship. You're baptized into a community. You're baptized into the church. That's why. Uh, that's why at, at, at Hope of Christ and other churches that that understand Scripture to be teaching baptism this way, we won't simply baptize a child of just a family who isn't a member of the church because you're being baptized into a community. You're being brought in. You're marked as being a part of that community. There's a horizontal relationship. There is a judgment symbolism. There's a negative symbolism of baptism. We see it when when Jesus speaks to his disciples. Most clearly, we see it in Luke 12 because the disciples are, two of his disciples are like, hey, we want to be on your right and your left. And he says, you can't be, uh, you can't drink the cup I'm drinking. You can't be baptized with the baptism I'm going to receive. In Luke 12, he says, I'm about to receive a baptism and I'm scared to death of it. And he's not talking about he's going to come forward after singing 17 verses of All for Jesus. He's talking about the baptism that he is about to undergo with the pouring out of god's wrath on him for our sins he's about to be baptized in the wrath of god for our sins and so there's a there's a negative aspect a negative symbolism that in the pouring out is a if you if you will not believe this is a picture of the wrath of God being poured out, not just the goodness and kindness of God, but there is that goodness and kindness. There's the, the, the love of God, the washing like circumcision. There's a symbolism of washing, the pouring out of water, the washing away of sins, the regeneration that comes with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. All of these are positive and cleansing images of baptism. baptism. It was never meant to be merely physical. Like, we know that. Baptism isn't just some physical activity. The whole point of baptism is that it points to something deeper, something larger, that you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. It points to a truth larger than itself, outside of itself. So the only question is, is it still familial normally? Is it still an act of obedience for families to bring their children forward to receive the sign of the covenant? Or is it now an act of rebellion for families to bring their children forward to receive the sign of the covenant. We would look at Scripture and the New Testament and say that the norm is for God to continue moving forward in an ever-expanding way of explaining his covenant, not in a way that suddenly there's this hiccup and he makes it tighter and moves backwards. And so it would be interesting for the writers of the New Testament to be using such covenantal language, especially in the coming, like in, at Pentecost, and and folks that we read, it was our part of our <clears throat> assurance of pardon and grace. When when they're cut to the heart, like you, your sin killed Jesus. You killed the Son of God, and they're cut to the heart, and they say, "What should we do?" And he says, "Well, you should repent, and you should be baptized." every one of you for the forgiveness of sins for this promise is for you and for your children and for those who are far off again it's not that it's only for you and your children i mean how many of you can trace your lineage back to a jewish heritage anyone okay so isn't that good then aren't we all we're all very grateful that it's more than just you and your children because none of us would have been in But it is for you and your children. It's a promise. It's a declaration. Sometimes we misunderstand the declarations being made at these covenant uh, signs. We think, well, these are declarations of me and my faith and my faithfulness. But covenant signs were always declarations of God's faithfulness. To be baptized is to hear God declare, You're mine. This one's mine. There's no great comfort. There's no great comfort for Martin Luther to say to himself, I'm baptized. If it's just once I made a really cool commitment to Jesus. The comfort is that I'm baptized. Once God made a really cool commitment to me. And unlike me, God never changes his mind. His promises are yea and amen. We celebrate baptism. We baptize Gabriel because that's what we need. That's what Gabriel needs. He needs to know that God is committed to him. That's what his parents need. Yes, they need to know that, you know, there's... There's work involved in this. I need to teach my kid things. I'm not just, he's not baptized. And now we put him on the street and hope, you know, well, he's baptized now. He's God's. No, we don't do that. We baptize and then we teach and we instruct and we pray and we pray with and we pray for. But when we pray with him and we pray for him, when they teach Gabriel to pray, they say to him, Gabriel, this is how you pray. Our father in heaven. He's your father in heaven. They don't teach him and say, listen, this is how we pray. I don't know how you're going to pray. You might be a heathen for all I know, but we'll see how it works out for you. No, we teach our children as though they believe, as though these promises are true for them. They bring him to church because this is where your people are, Gabriel. You have troubles, you have problems, you have pains, you have sorrows. This is where you go. This is where you come to. And they trust God. And they trust him when they wonder if he's watching. And they trust him when they don't know where their kids are. And they trust him when they do know where their kids are. Because <laughs> it's a promise he made. And so they trust him. Because God is faithful. And he will always be faithful. That's the declaration that we make to each other when we come to baptism. That's the promise you have if you've been baptized As you watch and take part in this baptism, the promise that God has made to you, you're mine. This one's mine. He's marked. She's marked. The of being marked, you know, for someone, for good or for bad. You know, Cain receives the mark so that nobody kills him. Uh, There's the mark of the beast in Revelation. But if you are baptized, you have been marked by God. And so we pray for Gabriel as we pray for all of our children that he will make this promise his own, that he will trust this promise and submit to this promise, that he will make the faith his own. Yes, communion is, again, it's that declaration meal of, look what I did to save you. Not the king's son of your enemy, but my son. Eat, drink, remember, believe. It's what I did. It's beautiful, isn't it, that God gives us one sacrament that's a it's once. Maybe you don't even remember it, but you get this sign once. You get to celebrate it when you watch others uh, take part in it. But then he gives us another sign. He says, hey, do this a lot. Because you're weak. <laughs> you're going to forget. And I'm going to feed you. So let's pray. And uh, and then we'll have the, the boats come up. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Uh, there's not much we can... There's so much more we could say about... Uh, the gift of baptism and your covenant promises. I pray that we would always look to Scripture and look to you uh, to guide us in our in our convictions, in our understanding. Thank you so much for uh, for the boths. Thank you for BJ and Rachel. Thank you for Alistair and for Gabriel. Thank you for their families. For the Boats and the Shigleys, the just the the covenantal gift, the generational gift of coming and seeing your faithfulness to BJ and Rachel, and the faith that you have given to them, and you, and we pray that you would be honored. and that you would be faithful to Gabriel. In Jesus' name, amen.